0: This week, on his latest highly important business golfing weekend, Donald Trump scores 18 holes in one. It says so right there on the scorecard, which he wrote before setting on to the course. Plus, the EU's battle for your bananas and top singing sensation Adele gets attacked by a wild animal. The Nick Abbott Habit. This was a tremendously huge week in news, but no-one was paying any attention because the world was fixated on how the Queen signals she's bored of talking to you by fiddling with her handbag. Rude. Then Meghan Sparkle, Prince Harry's new girlfriend, touched him in public, right on his royal personage. And Princess Tippytoes, you know, Pippa's sister, went to greet some of crowd of demented, gap-toothed flag-wavers in a place she'd never heard of before and probably couldn't find with a satnav and wore a dress to go there, making that story front-page news. And Kellyanne Bleedin conway the wicked witch of the West Wing, was pictured in the Oval Office with her feet on the seats. And then there was the story about Jeremy McConnell, posting a picture of himself with his newborn son, Caban Alby, that he had had with his amour, Stephanie Davis. Jeremy McConnell went public with the news that he is in fact the child's father just three weeks ago. And it's this little tot that brought him and Stephanie Davis back together again. Isn't that marvellous? No, it isn't. I know it's a function of getting older, but seriously, who the hell are Jeremy McConnell and Stephanie Davis? And why would anyone call their son Caban Alby? It sounds like letters they'd plucked out of a Scrabble bag. I racked my brain trying to remember who they are, but if I had a gun to my head, I wouldn't have been able to tell you. I saw the story on the Daily Mail website. It was a story that was so huge, I'm surprised they could fit it onto the internet. And I checked... The Daily Mail is so enamoured of Jeremy McConnell and Stephanie Davis, they spent 1,674 words, 11 pictures, 3 videos and a sonogram on them on Saturday. Not to think that people are complaining about the obsessions of the mainstream media. And as they were concentrating on that, meanwhile Donald Trump was picking a fight with Gina. The NHS is in such a bad shape it had to go to hospital and there's so little ice left in the Arctic you could put it in a glass of Coke. Then there was the story of some pale waif covered in the obligatory tattoos from that group of singing haircuts one dimension who got into a tiff with some arse with a camera in Los Angeles airport. Now he doesn't look like he could punch his way out of a cloud of smoke but apparently there was so much collateral damage that now everyone on earth is suing everyone else for compensation. But it's okay because the human race might be wiped out before any of that gets to court. Experts have been meeting to scare the bejesus out of us by talking about the possible ramifications of an AI future. And if you're over the age of 65 and do not know what AI means, don't worry, you'll probably be dead before it rises up to kill us all. Robots are coming to take our jobs. And when they achieve self-awareness, they will probably think that the world would be a much better place without us human wobbling meat sacks clogging up the place. And they will take the necessary measures to do us all in just like in that documentary film, The Terminator. Experts, yes, I know we are no longer interested in the opinions of experts, but stick with me, experts met to think about the possible scenarios of our future with robots. There were people like Elon Musk, whose name sounds like a car freshener, and the chap who invented Skype, the application that allows you to video chat with people like they did in the film 2001. Except in 2001, the video didn't look like it was coming from a snowstorm and sound like it was underwater. And these experts sat around and dreamed of a future in which all our worldly needs would be taken care of by robots that would then decide that we were extraneous to their worldly needs. They thought of things like automated cyber attacks, wherein your bank account would be drained without you knowing anything about it. You'd put your wage in your bank at the end of the month and it would be gone faster than an Olympic cyclist could spend it on asthma medicine. They even had a name for it. They called it malware on steroids. And that wasn't even the worst thing they came up with. They were also worried about cyber weapons that could go rogue and hide themselves and evade attempts by us podgy, slow-moving humans to dismantle them and switch them off. And now I'm worried about that too. Thanks a lot, Elon Musk. There's a group of people with brains the size of planets and pens in their shirt pockets that beaver away in Cambridge University who have come up with a top ten list of the things that will rip us apart and deny us the pleasure of dying peacefully in our sleep. And they are, number one, artificial intelligence, which will rise up and take over us people of little intelligence. Two, bio-hacking, which is when your bio gets hacked. Three, killer robots, see artificial intelligence. Four, nuclear war. Now, that's an oldie but goldie, which you can prepare for by painting your windows white. It won't help, but at least you won't be blinded by the flash two seconds before you are reduced to an ash pile you could fit in a matchbox. Five, climate change, which doesn't exist, because the President of the United States said so. Apparently, during the brief period he wasn't cheating at golf this week, he watched Happy Feet, and he could clearly see that there was ice under those dancing penguins all the way to the horizon, so no problem there. Number six in the top ten list of things that will do for the human race is an asteroid strike, which Bruce Willis is on standby for. Number seven is the loss of reality, which I have been experiencing ever since the 20th of January this year. I looked out, there were millions of people. Eight is food shortage. Also known as extreme dieting, also known in the portly West as skipping lunch. Nine is something called a particle accelerator, which I don't know anything about, so it can't hurt me. And the number ten thing that will trigger an apocalypse: a tyrannical ruler. I think they're talking about you, Donny, your great big orange gullump, and the screaming Mimi in the winehouse. White, not the winehouse, the White House took up so much news this week that it's hard to know where to start. I don't want to pee on his parade, but let's begin in Russia, which seems to be part of the current axis of evil, along with the House of Lords and Piers Morgan. Donald Trump has railed against a total witch hunt after his Attorney General, Jeff Sessions, stood aside from an investigation into Russian interference in the US election. This is because after he said he didn't talk to any Russians, it emerged he twice talked with Russia's ambassador to Washington during the campaign. And for the avoidance of doubt... The Russian ambassador to Washington is, technically, a Russian. If he walks like a Russian and he talks like a Russian and it says Russian in his Russian passport, he's Russian. And that's correct. Or as they say in Washington, virny. Now, Jeff Sessions is that fellow that looks like a shaved troll. And the president said that Mr Sessions could have been more accurate in what he said about his contacts with Russian officials, but blamed the Democrats for blowing up the controversy for political reasons. And he's right. The political reason being that Russia helped the screaming Mimi get into the White House. And that's affirmative. Or as they say over the, at the Attorney General's office, otverdit эль Donald Alexei Trump said, «Jeff Sessions is an honest man». Well, he's honest compared to you, Donny. Trump said Sessions did not say anything wrong. He said he could have stated his response more accurately, but it was clearly not intentional. Not intentional?! Is that one of those alternative facts we've heard so much about? Comrade Trump said, It's a total witch hunt. But it's not. It's a total mole hunt. They're hunting moles. Or in Russian, Krot okhota. They're okhotting krots. At a hastily arranged press conference, Jeff Sessions insisted he had done nothing wrong. He said, Who, me? But Democrats seized on the way he appeared to deny under oath any meetings during his January confirmation hearings when he was asked what he would do if anyone affiliated with the campaign had been in contact with Moscow. He said, I'm not aware of any of those activities, before adding completely unbidded, I did not have communications with the Russians, which was a big mistake, huge. He was asked if he was colluding with the Russians, and he said, "Nyet." By the way, remember that Jeff Sessions was the loudest voice in demanding a prosecutor to look into Hillary Clinton's unsecure email server, which she used for private and government business, just as Colin Powell, the Secretary of State under George W. Bush, did, and the Republican presidential hopeful Jeb Bush did, and Republican presidential hopeful the Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker, and apparently 33% of all federal workers, according to a poll in Government Executive Magazine in 2015. And on top of all that... Donald Trump tweets from his own unsecure Android phone. But officials tried taking that away and you could hear him squealing from the International Space Station. And Vice President Mike Pence routinely used a private email account to conduct public business as governor of Indiana via his personal AOL account. AOL! Are people still using AOL? He used it on a dial-up modem, presumably. And he wasn't just ordering the weekly shop. He was communicating with officials on topics ranging from security gates at the governor's residence to the state's response to terror attacks across the globe. And in one email, Vice President Mike Pence's top Homeland Security Advisor relayed an update from the FBI regarding the arrests of several men on terror-related charges. And he did it all on his personal account, which, as we've heard from the Republicans when they were attacking Hillary, are typically less secure than the government email accounts. In fact, Pence's personal account was actually hacked last summer. Come on, Donald, lock him up. But Donald's too busy. He's out there trying to make America Viel Iquier again. Actually, this week he became presidential and strutted around in a military flight jacket and an admiral's cap to visit an aircraft carrier. I'm amazed they could find one in his size. Do they make military uniforms in hefty plus size for the portly gentleman? And military veterans were quite cross about him squeezing himself into a uniform because he singularly failed to do that when his number came up for the Vietnam draft. He got out of that five times. It's hard to believe, but he used to be fit. He used to be a student athlete. And when his number came up for the draft, he suddenly became too unfit to serve when he coincidentally and temporarily came down with a heel spur which is when calcium deposits build up on the underside of the heel bone, probably caused by eating too much gold. Trump first became eligible for being sent to Vietnam in 1964, aged 18. He then received a series of four student deferments over the next four years while he was studying, and that's fair enough, I suppose, although it helped massively to have money to get to university in the first place. Poor people didn't tend to have that get-out-of-serving-free card. But when Trump graduated from university in 1968 and once again became eligible for the draft, he underwent a military physical assessment, which he failed because of the bone spurs. And you know what? We still don't know whether the condition was discovered by the military doctor or whether Donald Trump brought a letter from his own doctor. I suppose we'll find out when he releases those records, which he will do along with his tax returns, by which I mean never But draft board records showed he had passed a similar physical assessment two years earlier. But at that time, he was still a student. So he could get out of the draft because he was studying. When he didn't have to go, he passed the physical. When he could have gone, he failed the physical. And I thought he was successful at everything. But that's not the only reason military veterans are annoyed with him. You remember during the race to the White House when he attacked Senator John McCain? Now, John McCain was an actual real-life war hero who spent more than five years as a high-profile prisoner of war in Vietnam, where he was brutally tortured because he refused to sign a confession that would have secured his release. Can you imagine that? All he had to do was confess to whatever they wanted and he'd have been free. But he didn't, because it would have given a propaganda victory to the North Vietnamese. How can you not be impressed by that? Well, the six-foot bright orange Oompa Loompa found a way. Donald Trump questioned the idea that John McCain's time in captivity made him a hero, saying, I like people who weren't captured. I'd say you're lucky to be alive, Donnie. Don't get in a lift with him. He might want to punch you in the face. Of course, he'd have to get in line. That's a pretty big list of people now that want to punch Donald Trump in the face. Hillary, Robert De Niro, Melania. You know, the list just goes on. And in this country... The news is so grey and boring by comparison, like the weather. No one wakes up in the morning and grabs their phone or switches on the TV in a frenzy to hear what the leader of this country has said or done now. Theresa May has never had anyone on the edge of their seats in her whole life. She's got all the magnetism and charisma of a small soap dish. That's why she wears silly shoes, to make herself more interesting. It's not working, Mrs M. But Brexit's still top of the news because there's only so many ways to say that Jeremy Corbyn is a shouty, bearded, organic, free-trade, recyclable catastrophe. And the Lords are making the Leavers very upset, because when the people voted for the return of sovereignty to Parliament, they didn't actually mean a return of sovereignty to Parliament. They meant that Parliament should shut up and do what it's told, because that's democracy, that is. And there's still so much misinformation during the rounds concerning the EU that I thought I would clear up some of the more commonly held ones for you here. The people think that Brussels insists we eat straight bananas. That EU laws are made in secret and imposed on us without debate. That the EU wants all flags but its own, banned at sporting events. That good old British Bombay mix be renamed Mumbai mix. That the EU has designs on banning prawn cocktail crisps. That barmaids showing cleavage is against EU rules and that the evil EU bureaucracy wants to ban custard creams. The people particularly believe that the EU is so chock-full of frauds, crooks and 'er ne'er-do-wells that auditors have always refused to sign off on the EU's accounts. None of that's true, but the people think that it is. Let's not get bogged down in forbidden biscuits and boobs, because that's so silly it's hard to believe that anyone thinks it could be true. On the subject of fraud, the Court of Auditors has signed the EU accounts every year since 2007. The problem arises in the individual countries once they receive the EU funds, and the rate of misuse of these funds is about 4.4% of the total budget. And that sounds bad. But misuse can take many forms. And it's mostly counted as misuse if the country in question spends the money without regard to the applicable rules and regulations. Typical cases involve roads or airports that weren't used enough to justify the expense. There's rules and regulations about that. Well, you've got to have some rules regarding how the money is spent, or it would all go on suites and comics. So the EU's accounts are scrutinised by the Court of Auditors, which checks what goes where. As for actual fraud, rather than misuse, the Court says it makes up about 0.2% of the EU budget. Now, make no mistake, that's still a hefty chunk of change, but 0.2% is better than the 0.7% of Britain's own benefit payments that were lost to fraud in 2013. And that probably went on heroin and Sky TV. And the EU funds are not even mostly administered by the EU. They dole the cash out, and 80% of it is put to use by the individual countries themselves. And we do so poorly on this score that on the 28th of April 2016, our very own totally British House of Commons Public Accounts Committee called on the UK government to improve how it spends those EU funds. The Public Accounts Committee found that the UK departments contribute what they called additional complexity to the implementation of EU programmes, which drives up errors. So if we meddled less, we'd waste less. And as for being an out-of-control bureaucracy, the entire EU staff is about the same number as that employed by one and a half typical British councils. There's 46,000 people employed by the EU, and that sounds a lot, but it includes the Commission, the Parliament, the Council and the Court of Justice. By contrast, 33,000 are employed by Birmingham City Council alone. And they also have no one regulating the straightness of their bananas. And finally to Brisbane. Australia, where top singing sensation Adele was giving an intimate performance in front of, well, it looked like the whole of Australia had shown up, minus every single male person in the country who would rather have their sheep-fondling privileges removed than sit through two hours of her bleating on about men who left her with only her fridge for company. She showed up in a green floor-length dress at the Grammy Awards the other day. And mean people on the internet... Yes, there are mean people on the internet... said she looked like the female ogre from Shrek. The Sun newspaper was so upset by this... that they sensitively published her picture side by side... to the cartoon Mrs Shrek. I haven't seen that much green on a golf course. That dress was lovely material, though. I'm amazed she could find so much of it. That's not mine. That's one of my favourite Dame Edna jokes. Blame her. But on stage in Australia and looking fabulous in the bright lights... She was midway through one of her between-song chats, and a mosquito landed on her. Mosquitoes had heard that she would be appearing, and they travelled from miles around for a -a once-in-a-lifetime blood-sucking buffet. And in case they couldn't see it from the back, Adele explained what was happening to the audience of children, mothers, grandmothers, people from eight to eighty. She said, Fuck me! This fucking mosquitoes fucking eat my fucking blood. Fucking punctured right through my fucking skin while I'm fucking standing here, a fucking little fucker. And now here's another one of my sensitive fucking ballads. She is a class act and family friendly, as is this podcast, bleeped for your convenience. Remember that you can get my books of columns, what I write, on the Kindle shop on Amazon. The latest one has a picture on the front of me about to get my head bitten off by a huge fish. And I'll be back on LBC this Friday and Saturday at 10pm. And in two weeks, back here with another delightful, insightful and educational podcast. And until then, I appreciate your attention. A Big Things Media production. (laughs) Big Things!